This is Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, episode number 67. Today, our guest, Dr. Rick Ricciardi, the president of Sigma and International Honor Society of Nursing. Rick shares with us his passion and call to action to infuse joy into nursing. No one makes joy come to life like Rick, so you definitely don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Hi, healthcare leaders. I'm Tracy Christofferson. And I'm Michelle Trosett. We're your hosts for Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we are so grateful you joined us today. You're about to see healthcare problems and challenges through a brand new lens and take your leadership to a whole new level with this podcast. We've coached healthcare leaders from across North America for over 30 years as they strive to establish healthy healing organizations and thriving work cultures. This is the only podcast that shows healthcare leaders how to apply polarity thinking the missing logic in healthcare to their reoccurring challenges so they can stop wasting time, money, and resources on fixes that fail. If you want to create a healthy healing organization where staff and leaders thrive and perform at their highest level, where values are aligned, outcomes are sustainable, and the highest quality of care is delivered, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening. Each week, you're going to learn how to leverage a polarity mindset and manage competing priorities as we use a polarity lens to explore everyday challenges with the leaders who are striving to manage them. We're thrilled you're here. Well, hello, everybody. It's Tracy. And her sidekick, Michelle. We are back again for another Missing Logic Healthcare episode. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it to it. Let's do it. It was a great interview we had today. Yes, we interviewed somebody new, like that I didn't really, that I didn't know before the interview. That's right. That's right. And I've only recently met him, but when I met him, I'm like, oh, he would be a great guest on our podcast. And you can see why now, right, Tracy? Oh, yeah. I just really enjoyed our time with him. And um, as we said, kind of in our teaser, right? Nobody makes joy come to life like Rick. And yeah. <laughs> it was just really something to be, you know, in his um, virtual presence and mm-hmm. um, to, to listen to him talk about joy and about just his story. He's got a great story. And I just, yeah, I was so inspired. Yeah, he really cares deeply for the well being of nurses and really the entire healthcare team. And that really, came out in his work and his current role and his mission, really, to infuse mm-hmm. joy. Yeah, yeah, you can really see that he lives it, right? He lives his mission. And, yeah. um, and you know, so many people are saying the word joy these days, but you really, um, you really get the essence of it in this interview. So it's definitely something you're going to want to listen to. That's right. So let us tell you a little bit about Rick Ricciardi. He is a professor and director of strategic partnerships for the Center for Health Policy and Media Engagement at the George Washington University School of Nursing. Prior to joining GW, Dr. Ricciardi served as the director, division of practice improvement and senior advisor for nursing at the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. Dr. Ricciardi's research conducted at ARC focused on ambulatory care practice improvements in the areas of teams, team-based care, outcomes measurement, treatment of acute and chronic pain, and improving patient safety practices. 
Prior to joining ARC in 2010, Dr. Ricciardi served on active duty in the Army for 30 years and had numerous positions as a pediatric and family nurse practitioner, clinical scientist, and senior leader. Dr. Ricciardi is currently the 33rd president of Sigma. And just to give our listeners a little history about Sigma, in case you're not familiar with it, it was founded in 1922 by six nurses, and it was originally called Sigma Theta Tau International Honor Society of Nursing. Today, it's known as Sigma, and it is located in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, the founders chose the name from the Greek words meaning love, courage, and honor. Today, Sigma has more than 135 thousand active members and members reside in more than 100 countries so it has grown so much since the original founders in 1922 and currently the strategic goals of sigma are to grow in value for nurses globally recognize and promote nursing scholarship leadership and service expand and develop strategic relationships globally and advance innovative and customized resources to develop nurse leaders so as we said, it was a phenomenal interview, and without further ado, here is Dr. Rick Ricciardi. Well, welcome, Rick. This is Michelle, and we are so excited to have you as a podcast guest today. Thanks, Michelle. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Tracy and I always like to start with a little fun banter with our guests, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about joy um, but why don't you share with our, with our listeners, you know, what gives you the greatest joy personally? Wow, that's a wonderful question. And I hope people think about that every day because it's important to think about joy and gratitude every day. And I do, you know, and, and some days it's different from others. So I, I guess it's, there's no universal answer to that. But, um, well, I think first, of mo first and foremost, um, the person that brings me the greatest joy is my wife. She's an incredible person. Uh, so talented, so giving, so loving, so gracious um, that I admire her so much that um, I just feel lucky to be uh, married to her and to be, uh, you know, to learn from her because, like I said, she's just a very gracious person who has uh, an inner heart that is um, uh, big, 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 big and, and uh, full of uh, joy in her heart. So from a, so I'm blessed to have a, a wonderful partner um, and uh, someone who, uh, you know, I, I just learn so much from every day and joy when I, you know, see her. I, I, you know, joy is such a important thing. And um, I, I get so much joy out of nature. You know, um, uh, being in an environment that's pristine that you can envision that hasn't been corrupted by uh, humans or other forms of uh, destruction whether it's um, you know wastes or uh, uh, all kinds of things that we do to disrupt our environment so being in places you know like for example um, uh, once we took a trip, my sister and her husband and my wife and I up to Alaska, mm -hmm. and we were able to go into, you know, the, the Glacier Bay, and it was the inner passageway of Alaska, and to experience the wonder of the universe. And 
it's just, uh, it's, it's metaphysical is what it is. And I think part of it is joy that comes from the kinds of emotions that the amygdala can provide a human, but also uh, what is, goes beyond what you can get from chemical releases in the amygdala that give you this sense of joy to almost a metaphysical joy where you feel connected with time, place, and people. Uh, and you get a sense of, of the joyfulness of the universe and that you're part of that and to be involved in that. And to me, that was a sense of overwhelming, complete, and uh, open joy where, you know, I, I'm neither feel like I'm entitled to it, but I just feel like I'm part of it. And, and, and somehow someone gifted that to us. Yeah. And, and we're, we're, we're in it and we're part of it. Um, and then people. I always feel joy when, tremendous joy when I'm in a, in a place where I can watch human people and humanity collectively do good. Like when you see what's happened with COVID and so many people have come forward and put others at least on par with themselves, you know, where they are reaching out to them and, you know, seeing them for who they are and feeling that, you know what, this could be me and we need to come together to, to, to make this work for everybody. So what healthcare professionals have done uh, in responding to what happened after 9-11, being a New Yorker and knowing New Yorkers so well because I grew up in New York. And when, you know, when the World Trade Center collapsed and all the New Yorkers were together in solidarity and really saying, okay, we're in this together, that really brings me a sense of joy. When we, we have those kinds of experiences where humanity faces challenges and humanity, I don't want to use the word wins, but humanity brings itself to its fullest potential to where we are experiencing and doing what we're capable of, which I know is a lot. The human mind and the body is capable of incredible things. And when you see that happening, people actually extending that capability out real time, that brings joy. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Those were three awesome examples. And I know Alaska is on Tracy and mine's bucket list. <laughs> you won't be disappointed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow, you gave me goose pimples listening to your descriptions. That's so awesome. And yeah, it's unfortunately, sometimes it seems like it's far and few between when you experience that kind of joy of the awe of being a part of this universe and all the gifts and beauty it brings us. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, the senses can bring so much to you if you make yourself aware of the senses. Mm -hmm. Even in people that are lacking one of them, if you, some people that you know perhaps that are blind or deaf, but you can, you can see that there's some people like famous musicians that are blind and they're, you know, or, you know, uh, 
Beethoven and Mozart and, you know, those kinds of individuals, uh, you know, uh, who have challenged lives and yet they can produce such great music. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it, the senses can bring, like I said, almost to a metaphysical level where the senses themselves are a joyful gift mm-hmm. where we can experience these things. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. So, Rick, this is Michelle again, and I first met you at Sigma's 45th Biennial Convention in Washington, D.C., and that's when you became the 33rd president. I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about Rick uh, before Sigma presidency, air quote. Like, tell us a little bit about your, your past prior to your presidency. Well, I think what's relevant is that I grew up in New York City. My parents were an immigrant family. We lived in an immigrant neighborhood where it was very diverse, uh, mostly Europeans, but there were some other cultures there uh, outside of Europe. Um, and, you know, my family went through Ellis Island, and um, it was the beauty of the Statue of Liberty, which I got to see frequently because I grew up in New York City and reminded by that. So. I've very much always been a very patriotic person. I feel like when I'm seeing the Statue of Liberty and reading what's inscribed on there about giving us our masses and people who are thrown away from other countries and really America is embracing people who are not wanted in whatever country they came or not regarded or seen as, uh, seen as less than real members of their society and America was welcome, welcoming them, which is, I think, the root of America and who we are as a nation. And so, you know, I I really very much always embraced that. And, you know, the country allowed my family to come here and they were able to have extremely good blue collar lives, hardworking, like many other Americans from the World War II era. And my father served in World War II and my mother was a Rosie the Riveter, literally, in the Navy Yard and other places working with people in Brooklyn. Um, And, um, you know, so I've always really grown to respect them and that era of hardworking people and not only them, but everyone else in the neighborhood, because pretty much everyone else, you know, you didn't feel like you were unique because everyone else was doing the same thing. Everyone was working, struggling, living from paycheck to paycheck and enjoying life because they felt like America was a tremendous place to be. Uh, They were blessed to be here. And um, it's not so much, uh, it's not so much what you don't have. It's really celebrating what you do have. And that's what I learned from, you know, growing up in that, in that culture. Um, unfortunately, many times today, what we see is people are always struggling on what they do not have, um, you know, and not really seeing what they really do, what's right in front of them that they can grab onto and, and really bring joy in their life and they're missing it. So I feel like that is the root of who I am, you know, and has really uh, made me, you know, work hard, study, you know, you know, my parents were not formally educated people, but, you know, being a first, being a generation here in the U.S. where there's opportunities to go to school and to, you know, learn from the cultures and, you know, just be inquisitive. Um, I wasn't always as, as curious as I am now, but I was fairly curious even when I was younger, you know. I think my curiosity has grown over the years where I'm extremely curious now in everything. I 
just you just want to talk to people and learn more about them and you know what they do and how they've succeeded in their life and you know what makes them who they are i find that fascinating but so i went to school you know like everybody else in new york city and you know had a fun time and great education and then went to college was the first person in my family to go to college and then came into the military and then i served 30 years in the military had you know lots of great education because of the, the dod the department of defense believes in strongly believes in educating the service member and then um then i uh, retired from the military and um worked at the agency for healthcare research and quality where i was fortunate enough to be the director of the division of practice improvement which is where i really i wanted to that was a purposeful move on my part because i wanted to uh, get more into health services research i'd always been a clinical researcher looking at the warfighter community and, and really looking at prevention and during the war my research and, and looking at the tri you know the amputee population because of all the uh, ieds uh, that went off during the war and many many service members lost their limb or limbs but i moved when i retired from the military i wanted to do, get more into policy and policy level kinds of things because my last assignment in the military was very much policy driven i was down on the hill a lot and, and talking to senior leaders of the department of defense so it really it really made me realize the importance of being engaged in policy and and you know not only formulating policy but studying policy analysis and stuff so i went to arc where you know where where they focuses on quality and safety looking at from a health services research perspective which was very helpful for me to broaden my spectrum of thinking around uh you know the economics of healthcare and workforce and healthcare delivery and what are some of uh the challenges around that and then um i was fortunate enough to get uh, a professorship at George Washington University uh right before I you know was elected to president of Sigma which has been you know both of those are wonderful I I really love being at GW and a professor there in the Center for Health Policy and Media Engagement working with a uh, you know a really terrific team and the dean is fabulous dean Pam Jeffries and mm-hmm. the leadership team there is incredibly fabulous team and also uh, at Sigma where they have a tremendous uh team and my partner um Dr. Liz Madigan she's an incredible CEO and it's been great to partner with her in uh running the organization and being strategic around where Sigma could go That's yes. me <laughs> Wow That's profound there's a lot packed in that Rick There <laughs> <laughs> is I'm old I'm old when you're old <laughs> things seem keep creeping up on you as as you get older. <laughs> You're not old and just so our listeners know we just discovered prior to our recording that uh Rick and I share the same birthday so we're both we're uh have something else in common. <laughs> we're not old, Rick. I just got to tell you. <laughs> we're kindred spirits because we have the same birthday. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit how's it been going for you? I'm so excited about you being in the presidency role. Segment. How's it been going? Well, it's you know Um I'm a pseudo planner. I I really believe in serendipity and allowing things come into your life and being open to it, but I also believe that planning is important. Yeah. Um I think you can overplan. So that said, going into the presidency, I had thought I knew perhaps where it might go, 
and it's completely 180 because we're in unprecedented times right now. So typically the Sigma president is out negotiating, traveling and meeting with different chapters and trying to integrate the international community and, you know, being involved with the international community and ICN and, you know, WHO and uh, UN and other organizations. Well, all of that has come to a screeching halt and we have moved to virtual formats. So on one hand, it's, it's, it's been disappointing to not because I'm, as you probably already figured out, there's a part of me that's a bit extroverted. And, um, uh, you know, so I do miss, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not somebody who likes the under 10 gatherings as, as a, you know, as a public health mitigation strategy. But of course I adhere to that and I'm fully supported and I preach that, that, you know, we really do need to do that. But so, um, and that said, however, you know, in times of the most interesting adversities, great things can happen. And on the other hand, even though what I thought was going to happen and, you know, what I had sort of planned for didn't happen, but other really fascinating and wonderful things have happened. Um, we've seen the international community of healthcare professionals and nurses really connect uh, over uh, a unifying theme, which is COVID-19. You know, not a pleasant thing from the perspective of the lives and the sacrifices and the suffering that people have made around COVID-19. But that's nursing, right? That's what we do. We face sometimes some of the worst health challenges and we're on the front lines and the administrative lines and the policy lines and the research lines to, to you know, address that. And this was just one example of what we do as you know, a, a solidarity or, or a global community of nurses to bring together uh, each other and try to lift each other up in a way that is helpful. The other thing that has been very, um, uh, I think, rewarding is that partnering with uh, Sigma staff who are very talented and our CEO, we have uh, put together a really good series of uh, helpful webinars and podcasts around uh, COVID-19 and how nurses can and healthcare professionals can deal with some of the challenge, whether they're ethical challenges or whether they're resource challenge or their care delivery challenge, or whether it's transitioning from, you know, one place to another to, to uh, be part of the COVID strike force, if you will. And how do you deal with that? And the other piece that um, I believe Sigma is trying to address as an organization is reaching out to nurses and healthcare professionals who are struggling with the stress, the anxiety, the overburden of work related to COVID and understanding all of it. You know, you know, it's one thing you get out there and you start working and you're, you know, but at some point you have to take a pause and step back and think about it and, you know, take a breath and realizing how challenging the world we live in right now is when we have a global pandemic, we have an economic crisis internationally, and we have many countries in the world 
which started as a movement in the U.S., dealing with all the issues around systemic racism. And these three things together, all happening at the same time, is incredibly stressful and demoralizing. You know, to where you can really not, you could really force you to rethink everything about who you are and what we do and the culture you live in and the world you live in. And this is all happening at once right now. So Sigma has put out a series of webinars and videos to try to um, increase awareness, have people not push this under the rug. And uh, I don't want to use the word fix because it's not really about fixing it. It's about addressing it and bringing it out into the open and having leaders be sure to be in tune with what's going on and not to forget what's really happening out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, these are real people that report to you that are having these struggles and they're asked to do one of the hardest jobs, which is be a nurse. Um, and have empathy for other people. And sometimes you have to have, and frequently and always, you have to have empathy for yourself before you can have empathy for other people. And um, that's what I think, you know, this is not just a U.S. phenomenon. This is an international phenomenon. Um, particularly the concept of uh, um, the economic crises and covid and healthcare delivery in most countries is struggling um, because of uh, the supply is not meeting the demand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are all things, Tracy, and I've really been focused on the last few months too. Um, it's just the magnitude of all of this and just the realization that we're it. We're the leaders in this era. And, uh, the choices that we make and what we do are really, really important right now. So I really appreciate everything you're doing and everything Sigma's doing. And because um, it's all just like you said, it's just so, so important. And I was so thrilled when I heard you give your talk um, at the Biennial Convention that, you know, part of your two year focus was infusing joy back into healthcare, infusing joy back into the. Uh, and that was all pre-COVID. And what right. Tracy and I talk about a lot is, you know, we were we needed it then, so now we really need it. So um, just tell us a little bit about why you chose that as your focus um, during your presidency to infuse joy. That's a great question, and um, I think it goes way back. Um, first of all, I think it's part of my schema of who I am. Mm -hmm. I think as a person, I'm you know, I'm a half, I'm a glasses half full kind of person. You know, I tend to really believe in the humanity and the soul and the, and, and the, uh, uh, the determination of the human spirit and trying to, um, uh, I'll just make it simple to do good. Mm -hmm. Um, I really believe that that is the core of who we are 
and how we are successful uh, collectively. So that said, I mean, I love nursing. For me, uh, I, there's no bones about it. I mean, and I, and I in, in a mixed audience, I have no problem saying whether, you know, what there's physicians and whoever else is there. I will just say nursing is the best profession. You know, I, I'm confident that it is. I believe that it is because it bridges the gap between incredibly challenging science, translating that science and delivering it to humanity. And, you know, so we have the benefit of both understanding the science and, create, and, and you know, translating and creating uh, or, you know, generating new research. But probably for me, more importantly, is translating that in a way that is meaningful to the individual person, meeting them where they're at. And that very much brings joy to me at the end of the day, uh, which is why I'm still practicing, because there's two kinds of joy, really. There's, there's systems-level joy with policies and creating a health system that is delivering care that you're very proud of. But then there's also when you are looking the patient in the eyes and you're, you're being seen as their trusted provider and they have confidence in you. And then you talk about from a holistic perspective, you know, who they are in the context of who they are and looking at them from a whole person, 360 care delivery perspective. And then you come to some agreement on helping them to improve their health and well-being, whether it's psychologically or physically or emotionally or whatever. And then at the end of the day, you're, you go home and you're just you know, sitting there and you're thinking, I've done something good today. Yeah. And it's tangible. <clears throat> you know, it's immediate. So I need both the immediate and the long term. So the reason... I experienced that. But what I've learned over in, you know, in the 90s when managed care came in and it, we, we've become more of what I like to call in others industrialized medicine in the U.S. Where we've become, and I'm not against, you know, healthcare being a business. But I think the business needs to have the right core values, which I don't think they the alignment of, of our business model of healthcare, which is very fragmented, which you all know, which doesn't work. Um, and once I started experiencing that pressure, that burden, it took away from my joy. And I said, I remember that joy. And that's what my passion was. That's what drove me. That's what gave me my energy. And when that's not there, I'm not as creative, I'm not as good of a provider, I'm not as good of a nurse, I'm not as good as a person. And we need to get back to that. So that's kind of where I came from, from my individual journey, but, and also speaking with other nurses and, and observing it across healthcare lines, you know, where, uh, like I said, around the concept of industrialized medicine. In a US-centric, care delivery that is so fragmented and so uh, business model driven where the bottom line is CEOs making large, you know, 
salaries in a for-profit industry. Even the concept of healthcare being a for-profit industry where people are getting rich off of other people's illnesses doesn't sit well with me. You know, it, it's when you look at other countries where healthcare is, you know, where, I, of course, I believe the U.S. should have universal healthcare. You could probably tell just by the way I'm speaking now that I come from that perspective. I'm not saying how the U.S. should do it. <laughs> but I do believe that we, and I have ideas on that, and that's another podcast. But, you know, I have lots of ideas on what a universal healthcare delivery system in the U.S. could look like. But we need to, as a nation, answer the fundamental question. Is healthcare a basic right of citizenship? And eventually, we're going to get there and we're going to say yes. So why not just say it now and get on with it? I'm with you. <laughs> just get this over with. Rip the Band-Aid off. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because we know in the end game, there's no other country that's successful that hasn't answered yes to that question. So why do we think we're going to be different? We're not. We're not. So let's just say yes. And then figure out how to do it where we can come together and, and come up with a plan. But so that's why I think joy is critical for delivering good care. Joy is critical for uh, the, the archetype of the profession, which is something that has been with me for 30 years, should mm -hmm. look like. Yeah. I would like nurses to be represented as joyful, <clears throat> engaging people who are involved in a professional uh, position, which I know nursing is. So why not, not, why not let nursing be where it should be? You know, at the top of, you know, healthcare delivery and with all of the wonder and beauty that nursing has to offer. Because it is, a, like I said, it's the world's best profession. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'll... I'll go to my grave on that one. I don't think anybody's <laughs> going to change my mind, but I'm open. You know, if people want to debate that, I'm open. Certainly, but I, I'm, you know, every time I challenge everybody else, they just don't want to get in the game and fight with me on that. You know, they just, they just let me have it. <laughs> oh, what a, uh, well, you know what you described there, you know, Tracy and I do a lot of work with uh, managing tensions that never go away. And uh, I was just really struck in listening to you, Rick, that you're really, you described a couple. One is the value of systemness and also individual. And you need system care and individual care. And you also, it's also the balance of margin and mission. And if you overfocus on margin and the business side of it, especially as clinicians, we, we need that mission part, right? That's why we got into what we were doing. And so it's really up to all of us to really learn how to leverage both of those uh, very well. And I think that's what the call is right now. How do we do both really, really mm -hmm. well? Um, one of the things I've, I've heard you say before, and I thought it would be really helpful for our listeners to hear a little bit of what, what you describe as the ABCs of infusing joy. In other words, I think you kind of have laid out there, you know, in a very simple way, what are some things we can do to, kind of keep that in front of us of how to infuse joy. Do you want to share those with our listeners? Sure, Michelle. And I'm really, really excited and happy that you said simple because <laughs> it is. my goal, you know, being a clinic, one of the reasons why I, I love clinical practice so much is because it keeps me pragmatic. 
you know, you can be very ivory towerish. You can be in health policy. You can, you know, be systems level person. But if you're not in tune with what's happening on the ground of care delivery, you can miss the boat quite easily. And one of the things, because I, I call myself an ambulist, because you know you have the term hospitalist, but my whole career has really been looking at ways to deliver care and improve care in the ambulatory setting. Not that I'm not engaged with hospitals and you know coordinating care and transitions of care with hospitals, but everybody's got to have their stick. My stick is really ambulance. I, like I said, I think I've coined the term ambulist. Uh, it hasn't gotten widespread yet, but you know uh, I, I think I'm the first person that came up with the term ambulist. We'll put it in our show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, back to uh, back to your question. I'm sorry. Can you can you remind me remind the, me the uh, simple ABCs? Oh, the simple ABCs. Yeah. So I like to keep things very pragmatic, but being a researcher, I also like a theoretical framework because I think a framework drives you to put it into perspective, give some people an idea of where you're coming from. So I came up with the ABCs where A stands for awareness. And just to put some context around this, the ABCs in my, from my perspective are all happening at the same time. No one is predicated in, a, in the other they're all really can be happening simultaneously. Where the A stands for awareness. And what I've come to learn after speaking with many nurses and healthcare professionals in my personal journey, if you don't really have a sense of where you are and in, in what you're doing and what your skills are and what your gaps are, then you're not going to really go home at the end of the day feeling good about what you did. So once you work on Okay, let's say you want to be the best nurse practitioner that ever walked the face of the earth, and you're just starting out. So you know at the end of the day that you're going to feel uncomfortable, you're going to feel concerned. I can tell you many nights I woke up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, wow, did I order that x-ray? Or did I order the right medication? Or you know, did I forget to follow up on so-and-so? You know, those kinds of things pop in your head at 3 o'clock in the morning. So getting a mastery of your craft, where you really can, you, you have the skills, the knowledge, the skills, and the ability, which drives your autonomy. Now, I don't really like the word autonomy. I use it because I don't believe that anyone practices independently. I do believe that we have, there are so many interdependencies in healthcare that no one person owns any one aspect. But autonomy from the perspective that autonomy for you, that you're, comfortable and know what you know, know what you don't know, and can go practice forward in a way that you're, you know, competent and have mastery. And that brings, I think, a sense of awareness and joy. Because I always felt very joyful at the end of a day when I had a, you know, I, I was a nurse practitioner for a good part of my career. And I had seen a lot of patients that day because we were busy. And I felt like I did a good job and I covered everything and, you know, I gave people the right, you know, treatments and I integrated their care with other health professionals and I was getting it right. <laughs> so that made me feel joyful. And, and it allows me, and these are all linked, all three, to a sense of being open to what's going on around you because once you have that degree of comfort, you can then see what's happening 
in the greater scheme of things around you so that you can make quality improvement so that you can be creative and thinking on how could I do this better? How can I improve care delivery? How can I improve that? So awareness is the first. Second, um, which is balance and purpose. And this is just so incredibly important from the perspective of helping you to fill up your tank, you know, because like I said earlier, nurse, all healthcare professionals, there needs to be a, de a degree of empathy, a degree of uh, feeling comfortable in your skin. So balance and purpose is about looking at your life and finding what, what restores you. What are some of the things that builds resiliency in who you are? Because everybody's going to have good days and bad days. You don't really need so much resiliency on a good day, but you need resiliency on a bad day. And life just doesn't happen where every day is a good day. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's nirvana, you know, and we don't live in that kind of. So how can we build that? It's finding within yourself what restores you, what provides you with, uh, and everyone is different. You know, some people will be reading, some people it's exercising, some, some, some people it's playing music. Some people it's listening to music, some people it's dancing, whatever it is, you know, it's all there for you, you know, whether it's nature. And purpose, which perhaps is the most important thing. Um, because when you as an individual think about what makes you unique and what is your purpose, nothing can get in your way. Once you know what that is, what your North Star is, what it is that drives you and what's unique to you and what do you care about? And you're moving towards that, knowing that you're never fully going to achieve it because that's unrealistic. But you know what it is and you wake up every morning with a purpose. Wow. Like I said, no one can stop you because that's your purpose. The other thing that's wonderful about purpose is that it doesn't remain stagnant is that life changes, you change, and your purpose changes. And what I always like to tell people is, you know, your purpose at 18 is not your purpose at 25, is not your purpose at 35. And that's good. You know, so purpose evolves. Purpose, but it still needs to be there. You know, whether even if you're 99 years old, you need to have a purpose. Maybe it's seeing your grandchildren. You know, maybe it's having that glass of beer at 5 o'clock when you're 99. Maybe it's watching a TV show or maybe it's, you know, helping someone else. I don't know what it is, but everyone needs a purpose that brings joy because without purpose, I don't, I believe that it's very hard to have joy, you know, and the last one, which is where I spent a good part of uh, the latter part of my career is thinking at systems level approaches is how can we have an interprofessional perspective on developing healthcare systems, whether they're academic health centers, whether they're care delivery systems, whether it's uh, working as a researcher, how can we Im embed mechanisms to allow for joy to occur? You know, large corporations like Google and others have figured this out to a degree, right? They've figured out how can they build an environment of care that allows for uh, joy and creativity to flourish because they realize that innovation and joy, innovation and creativity will not happen in a dud environment. 
you know? Well, it could happen. I'm not saying it won't happen. But it's more likely to happen in an environment where people uh, are joyful and, you know, have purpose. And, they, you know, and, and it's supported by the system in which you are part of. So that, that has to be intentional. In fact, all three of these have to be intentional. They're just not going to happen. And that's the purpose of infusing joy is to put it out there to make sure that people realize in health systems and leaders that these things just don't happen naturally. That we have to, one, agree with what I'm saying, and two, if you do, do agree, okay, let's get an action plan. Because um, uh, there is a saying, and let me, let me try to bring it to me, but it's strategy without action is um, delusional. An illusion. <laughs> yeah. Along those lines. Yeah. So it, it will never come to fruition. Right. right. So Sigma is the infrastructure through the chapters and the brief that I put together to help to um, be a, a mechanism or a structure for people to take the, the strategy, which is the ABCs, and implement those uh, to become reality. And so realizing, because like I said way back in the beginning, I said I was a pragmatic person. I really believe that you have to provide tools or mechanisms for people to be successful um, rather than just, you know, saying that. And the chapter, so many chapters, which has been an incredibly humbling thing for me to see how Infused Joy has taken off in our over 500 chapters. So many chapters have used this as a focus of, you know, their vision for, you know, uh, and as you said early, earlier, Michelle, it just happened to happen during the COVID era, which, you know, um, it, was, uh, it was one of those serendipitous things that I mm -hmm. believe life gives to you, that if you're open to ideas, sometimes extremely good things happen. Um, and sometimes good things happen and sometimes extremely good things happen. And in this case, it happened to be, um, you know, I, I mean, a lot, a lot of people have reached out to me about this and, um, uh, and it seems to be resonating very well with, mm -hmm. with the communities. So yeah. there's a bit of luck involved in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've had, you know, kind of the same realizations too, right? That this is a place of struggle for people. And I think one of the things that you're bringing out is that, you know, the environment's critically important, right? Um, right. But it takes intention on the individual's part as well. And that's been a message that Michelle and I have been trying to bring. It, yes, it's critically important that we pay attention to the work cultures, the environments, because it does have a significant impact. But at the end of the day, the individual has to take some responsibility and have intention to live that balanced life, to develop that resiliency, to have this joy, uh, because nobody's going to give it to them. Right. Own it. And, you know, I know because I had a very loving mother, I know that there are some inherent, and nursing being a predominant female profession, that often, um, mothers put everyone else ahead of themselves. And it's a dynamic that 
I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think it's important. But I do think that there has to be some point where you actually are putting yourself at least on equal par with everybody else. Yeah. And often what I say, well, you recommend this to other people. How come you're not recommending this to yourself? You know? That's right. That's right. So I'm not saying that we should be narcissists or, you know, because uh, we have enough of those in the world right now. And you can get my point there. But um, I do believe that there needs to be a degree of where we are caring for ourselves. Because what I've come to learn, whether it's love or relationships or yourself, is if, if you don't care enough about yourself to put yourself at least with equal par with everyone else, then you're not going to have joy. I think that that's going to uh, take away. And, uh, you know, observationally, I think that that has been a challenge, uh, you know, uh, from a dynamic perspective uh, with the women's rights and all that. I think that women are struggling with this. And uh, being a man, it's not something that I really want to recommend because it's, I'm a man, you know. I, but I do think the concept of ABCs addresses some of that. Um, and that, um, but it, it applies to men too. You know, it's yeah. not just, yeah. it, it applies to both. It, but it I, I think just, it's, you know, it, it goes back to who we were as hunters and gatherers you know, uh, tribal, you know, and, you know, and I think that there's some genetics to that, but there's also, you know, this is the 21st century where, you know, things are different now. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think we also agree people need tools, right. And processes yeah. to help them. And that's why in our work, we've kind of created a framework called the dynamic balance effect. And we help, we use that, design that to help people intentionally mm -hmm. create a plan, right? A blueprint for work life balance so that, you know, they're getting, they're experiencing that joy at work and at home, right? And they're making a contribution at work and at home. And to kind of manage that tension that naturally exists between the two, because we such, we have such a high value for both. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've created, a, you know, kind of a, a blueprint for them to be able to intentionally map out their strategy, um, kind of how would you get the ABCs, right? Um, and be very intentional about that on both, in both aspects of their life so they can, you know, make a difference but enjoy life to the maximum of their capabilities. And um, so I think it really lines up really nicely, mm -hmm. you know, with all, you know, the aspects of uh, balance in your life. And, I just am curious, what have you noticed or heard in regards to the biggest struggles that nursing leaders or other leaders are experiencing um, when it comes to, you know, really crafting a joyful life? Well, you know what I frequently hear? There's not enough time in the day, you know, um, because healthcare is, uh, nursing leaders in healthcare delivery markets, it's such a complicated uh, challenging environment where they have to uh, address the uh, the economics of healthcare delivery, the workforce tensions of healthcare delivery, and meeting supply and demand, and also the care quality and uh, safety. You know, and there is there are oppositional forces 
in a lot of ways, you know, uh, because as you know, uh, healthcare is a dynamic thing. If you, if you take, uh, take a labor and delivery or uh, the emergency department or primary care, there are certain times of the week where things are much busier and there's no rhyme or reason. We can't, we, 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 it's not like we're making widgets and we can plan for when the widgets are going to be made. Sometimes when the moon is full, we have a lot of women going into labor, you know, and if you're only staffed for, so to meet the needs of, of what is the mean staffing, what is it we can afford, you know, there's times where there's so much variability that it causes havoc. So I think nursing leaders um, need to, one, have a tremendous understanding of the economics of healthcare. I, I believe that we in nursing uh, are getting that now. When I first started out as a nurse, it was never even, it wasn't even anywhere on the horizon. But I, I do think we have to understand payment, payment reform, the economics of healthcare, uh, where, where the challenges are in healthcare delivery, both at the hospital level, but also at the primary care and community level, you know, where the expenses are. And how can we build models of care that are going to both be efficient, effective, and uh, have some uh, cost parameters on them. Because I'm not naive. I mean, we, we don't have unlimited resources. You know, we can't just say, okay, we'll do everything and, you know, cover everybody. Um, I, I do think that, so how do you do that as a nurse leader? So I think one of the biggest challenges, if not the biggest challenge, is integrating the business of healthcare into uh, the care delivery and nursing and helping to build what you and I are, what, you know, what Michelle, Tracy and I are talking about, building joy into that. Um, so I, I know probably a lot of nurse leaders lose sleep over this. This is probably something that, you know, causes them to. So what that, that takes us back to the A of awareness. So how do we, as a nursing community, empower nurses and give them the right skills and tools so that they can feel comfortable negotiating in this power broker environment. Because you're talking about almost $4 trillion a year. You know, you know, a large percentage of a GDP. So the Mongols are out there on that. You know, when you see that much money, that's Wall Street. You know, that's, that's dog-eat-dog, you know, competition. For dollars, so how do we, as as nursing leaders in this market, how do how do we lead and influence that market? Um, and, and I struggle with that because that is a hard, you know, that's a hard nut to crack. Uh, uh, you know, you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> that is one. That is one. But you know what? The other thing too, and I think one of the things that Michelle and I appreciate about you is that you are an advocate for interprofessional care as well. And so sometimes I think some leaders feel like they're the only ones, right? Like the nursing leaders hold it all, mm -hmm. but really there's interprofessional leadership, right? And so you're like, what do you see? Um, how do you see that that kind of interprofessional care, interprofessional leadership, what impact can that have on the workplace and the workforce? Well, I mean, it has, from a systems perspective, it's, 
it's really all encompassing. I think if you don't have the interprofessional, um, what I like to call a shared mental model mm-hmm. on where you're trying to go, you know, the CEO and, and the corporation, our healthcare delivery system will have a vision. This is what we want to be. We want to be the best at X. We want to be the best health system to deliver cardiovascular care in, you know, in Georgia, you know, so you have thoracic surgery, you have, you know, cardiac rehab, you have all that's required and, you know, you want to make all those people the best. However, we know that in doing cardiac rehab, you need nurses, you need community integration, you need primary care, you need physical and occupational therapists, you know, you need respiratory therapists, you need all of that, all of those individuals. Yes, you need cardiologists, um, but there's no, there's no one person that is any more important than the other if the ultimate goal is trying to deliver a whole person 360 care. So, you know, I, always, I also have this expression that, you know, each individual profession excels well and they probably have a really strong knowledge base. But it's about, you know, the, the whole has to be better than the sum of the parts. And we have a lot of great sum of the parts. We have a lot of parts in that sum. Mm-hmm. We often don't have a great whole. So without these, some of these parts coming together to deliver care in a way that each understands what they're doing and what the, you know, what the boundaries and parameters of the, what they're doing, and also understanding the interdependencies. You know, one of the biggest challenges is that different groups think they own things, when in reality the patient owns it. They're the ones, you know. Um, Don Berwick had said something to me that I never left me. He said, you know, we're invited into patients' lives. We are invited into their lives. So if we had that perspective where we don't own any of this, the patient owns it all. It's their health. It's their care. So we are providing a service to them, you know. And so if we would collectively think of it that way, you know, that and have a shared mental model. But again, because healthcare is industrialized, and there's money involved, you know, it becomes competitive. And that's capitalism, which I'm totally supportive of. I believe in capitalism. However, I, I don't know if capitalism is the right way to go around healthcare. I don't know if that's the right model. In fact, it wouldn't be the model that I would choose for healthcare in a universal healthcare system in the U.S. So I, I think we're doomed to answer your question very simply. We're doomed if we can't work together because healthcare is a team sport. Oh, we are literally doomed. It is. It is. We'll and we've just got keep a, spiraling. And we've got a lot of history that we have to overcome, right? Because we didn't start out as a team. We started out separate. Yes. Right. Owning different pieces, right? Yeah. Of of what we don't own. <laughs> well, in reality, we started out as a paternalistic healthcare delivery where you had a b- bunch of male physicians. Uh, you know, when the insurance industry started coming out after World War II, or, you know, in the 50s or 40s, whenever that started, it was pretty much all male physicians, and you know, it was very paternalistic, yeah. you know, and, and that's where we are challenged to move. And you had the AMA, 
was embedded in, you know, in what they do. And now, of course, the AMA has lost some of its influence, thank God. But, uh, you know, and it's more interprofessional, more organizations have some say in what healthcare should look like. And not, I'm not against the AMA, AMA, I'm not saying, but I think, you know, a monopoly, in our country, we have rules against monopolies. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and having a monopoly in healthcare where one group has all the power doesn't get us there. Right. So I'm, I'll stand on my words. I'll say we're doomed if we can't get this right. Because yeah. well, we're, we're gonna... just spiraling to yeah. in doing what we're doing now. Yep, yep, yep. We'll realize our, our, our deepest fears will come true, right? Like, in other words, is another way of saying we're doomed. So I totally appreciate that. Yeah, so... Yeah, Tracy and I are big uh, interprofessional collaborators, and um, I think you just said it really well. And there are interdependencies. And one of the things we're trying to bring awareness around that is until we understand there's interdependencies, we'll stay in that fix-it mindset, and they'll keep reoccurring over and over and over again. I think the three of us have been in healthcare long enough to know they're never going to go away. And, and we, have, we have to look at them in a different way. We have to approach it in a different way. And I think your infused joy uh, message is so uh, relevant right now. And um, I, I do believe it, it showed up right when it did, when it was supposed to. So thank you for that. Um, I think in, in closing, Rick, um, if we could just ask you one more question, because you're certainly a phenomenal leader and you're also in the education space. So we know that you're being you know, you're, you're around up and coming health professionals every day and your work at the center. You know, what is your greatest hope for the healthcare leaders of tomorrow? What, what, what gives you the greatest hope right now with everything that's happening? Well, I, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a great question. And I, I am very much um, hopeful because I, I see so many talented uh, people joining the nursing profession in healthcare. And they're not necessarily young chronologically because we see a lot of what's interesting is the dynamic of healthcare is changing in medicine and nursing where older people are actually, you know, the traditional, I just graduated from college and went to med school or I'm going right into nursing school out of high school is that's changing. The dynamic is changing. So I'm hopeful that we have a much more, uh, variable or diverse group of professionals in healthcare that is representative of who we are. Because frequently what we have now in healthcare is uh, not enough diversity and not enough opportunity for individuals to, uh, to allow for culture to have a piece in how care is delivered. So I'm hopeful that we're on the right track to be intentional in trying to diversify our workforce. I am also hopeful, hopeful that I do think that academics are understanding now the importance of macroeconomics and macroeconomic theory and the concept of, of uh, healthcare economics and integrating that into understanding healthcare so that when we do get universal healthcare eventually, that we'll be positioned to be able to have uh, uh, on the table ideas with how that might look and how we can provide a universal model, knowing that you have to, you have to um, uh, account for costs. 
Um, I'm hopeful that that the spirit of nursing continues, of who we are as a profession and what we do. Because I'm blessed to see nurses in many countries uh, in Sigma. And the unifying factor is the light that shines in the nurse's eye when they talk about what they've done in their community to improve the health and well-being of the population that they serve. That's a universal light that you see. And I don't believe that light will ever go out. That's, you know, kind of like the the Kennedy grave that has the universal flame. I see that universal flame in nursing where we have that flame that drives us as, as a solidarity or a collective group of nurses that is very unique and, you know, it crosses all boundaries. So I'm very hopeful that that, will only grow stronger uh, because of the increasing diversity of the workforce as we get, uh, you know, more uh, uh, different kinds of people that are interested to come into healthcare and nursing. And um, I'm hopeful that the nurses will get more into the media. I do believe that we will build an archetype that will, you know, we are seen as the most trusted profession, but not as a profession that, uh, is one that people go to to ask for serious decisions or leadership kinds of input. Now, of course, that's changing in a big way from when I first started. However, being over, you know, being the largest workforce, then we should be have the largest representation at the table. Let's just face the numbers, right? We are the largest group of, of care providers, and so when there's uh, when there's a table where decisions are going to be made. It should be that the largest group there are nurses. And I'm hopeful that someday we will get there. That, you know, we will. Because what I see in nursing through podcasts like this and, and other forms of, of understanding of leadership and Sigma having so many programs, what's one of our biggest product lines is developing nurses, leading and strengthening nurse leaders um, uh, to transform global healthcare. Yeah, thank you. Well, this has been an awesome interview. And again, we just really thank you for your time. And I think one of my key takeaways is that, you know, we are kindred spirits, believe me. <laughs> we are aligned in a lot of things. And um, and uh, totally, um, I think the other thing that we're just so connected on is the purpose and committed to take action. So it's been wonderful to spend this last hour with you, Rick. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. And I, I think I would just say there isn't anybody better to lead this really kindling joy than you. You <laughs> have this way of just making it come to life. You know, so many times people say the words, but they don't bring it to life with what it really means and what it can feel like. And I've just been inspired through the whole, I've just been sitting here listening because usually I talk a lot more. <laughs> I just been, <laughs> I just been listening and just taking in everything you're saying. And it's given me a new appreciation really for what joy is and what it can be. And you just, it just seeps out of your, your, your being. And I just, I just have really loved my time with you today. And thank you so much for that gift that you've given me just in the conversation and the gift you're giving nursing world um, with bringing this to them. So thank you very much. I mean, I'm I'm very grateful for both of you and appreciate very much what you said. And um, 
you know, I, like I said, it's, I'm just proud to be a nurse and love to have colleagues like you all and so many others and be part of this wonderful profession. So I'm just very, feel very blessed and lucky to be doing that. So thank you all. Thank you for what you're doing to, to really try to stretch nurse leaders to think outside of where they're at to maybe come up with new and innovative ways and, and to be more aware of who their constituents are and, and how they can be connected with them because connectivity is very important. It's not the only thing, but it's important, I think, to drive nurse leaders to make uh, evidence-based informed decisions that will make us all better. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Enjoyed it. Take care. All right. Yeah, you, too. you too. Stay safe and healthy now. You too. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks as always for listening to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. You can find show notes and links at our website, missinglogic.com forward slash new dash podcast. If you're the kind of leader who wants to help others, then share this podcast with your peers and other healthcare leaders. We're certain if you found value in it, they will too. Please share this on your social media channels and leave us a review in iTunes. If you don't know how to leave a review, you can find instructions at the end of the show notes. We'd also love to hear and answer your questions. So if you have some questions, you can email us at questions at missinglogic.com. And we may include your question in a future episode.